they're going to be sitting in a chair that has custom cushioned seats with a full backrest, heated seats, more space, footrests, a bubble that comes over you for adverse weather, which we can sometimes get here in New England, and uh, delivering them to the top quickly, and then they can do it all over again. Welcome to the storm. I'm your host, Stuart Winchester. Storm Skiing Podcast explores the business, history, and culture of Northeast skiing. Subscribe to the Storm Skiing Newsletter for free at skiing.substack.com to get all Storm Skiing Podcasts and content as soon as they're live. You can download the Storm Skiing Podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and Pocket Cast. Follow us on Twitter at Storm Ski Journal and on Facebook. Episode 12, Jay Scambio, President and General Manager of Loon Mountain. New Hampshire. I did not forget about you, New Hampshire. I know. I've already done like five Vermont episodes. I know what you're thinking. Hey, Stu, ever heard of New Hampshire? That state right next to Vermont has like 30 ski areas in Mount Washington. I hear you. It was not intentional. There's a flow to scheduling these things, and sometimes it just lines up that way. But I love New Hampshire. Love New Hampshire skiing. And this is the first of what I intend to be many episodes focused on skiing in the state. A couple weeks ago, Loon announced Loon 2030 is a 10-year plan that is going to completely transform that mountain. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to spend almost the entire time today talking about that plan with resort president and GM Jay Scambio. A little background on Loon, in case you're not that familiar with it. It is one of nine mountains that Boyne Resorts owns in North America. So if you're wondering why we keep talking about Big Sky, Montana, that's why. Of course, it's not in the Northeast, but that is Boyne's flagship mountain. And a lot of what their other mountains do comes from ideas that they tested or perfected out of Big Sky. Boyne Resorts CEO Stephen Kircher was on the podcast a couple months ago, and we never got to Loon. We intended to talk about it. I had a whole line of questioning about it. Stephen wanted to talk about it, but there was just too much to get to, and we just didn't have time for Loon, unfortunately. So I'm going to make that up to you today. We're going to talk about Loon extensively, including a very deep dive on Kankate. Let's go. My guest today is the president and general manager of Loon Mountain Resort, New Hampshire. He has worked at the mountain since he began there as a snowboard instructor in 1998 and has managed terrain parks, ski schools, and summer activities at Boyne Resort's network of nine mountains across the continent. Loon is the most visited ski area in New Hampshire by far and the second largest, with 11 lifts serving three peaks and 370 acres of skiable terrain. Jay Scambio is my guest. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Stuart, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So I want to get right into Loon 2030 here. You announced that plan last month. There's so much going on here. Terrain expansions, upgrades for every major lift, beginning with the Kank 8 before the start of next season, base lodge rebuilds, snowmaking upgrades, a big build out of your summer business. If a skier is stepping onto your mountain 10 years from now, how is their experience different than it is at Loon today? I think they're stepping into an environment that's up to date, cohesive, modern looking buildings, um, spacious, spacious structures with comfort for, uh, for guests of, of all different types, but a sense of arrival that really welcomes them and gets them indoors, sitting down, putting their boots on, um, not jockeying for space while they're, while they're trying to have lunch. And then they're going to lift lines that are much shorter and riding lifts that are smoother, warmer, and drier. And it looks like a little more technologically advanced as well, right? Yeah, that's 
that's a that is a big portion of our of our push. I mean, we're we're two hours from Boston. We have a, a lot of Bostonians up here, tech savvy people. We've started that whole that push a couple of years ago with installing uh, fiber optics throughout the resort, so we can deliver uh, Wi-Fi to everybody when they want it. They don't always need to have it, but when they want it, it's at their fingertips. So that's a that is a big piece. This is a big plan. It's really going to transform the mountain. Um, you don't have unlimited resources. You are fortunate that you have Boyne as a parent company. Um, how do you work with your teams on the mountain and with Boyne to decide where you're going to focus your attention when you announce a 10-year plan like this? You're right. There, there's not unlimited resources. It's a big process. Anyone who's been through a planning process like this, um, it takes a while. We started this past spring and then got real serious about it. End of the summer, getting together, uh, getting my, my senior team together, with our corporate team and then our you know our owner Stephen Kirch, he was heavily involved in the process as well. And collectively, we worked through the I guess you could say the the problem areas, um, things that we need to improve to to improve the the guest experience. And that's what that's what our focus is all about. How we're improving that experience. I think there's there has been a lot of conversation about what we're gonna what we're doing with increasing capacity uh, on lifts and attracting more people and you know it's not necessarily all about that it's about it's about the the folks that we have and what their experience is when they're here and how our structures and our lifts how they can accommodate them better and as we work through that process and lay it all out through the years you know you, you certainly you mentioned the larger group there's other resorts around and you know we figure out how loon Fits and our projects fit into that uh, that ten year matrix with everyone else, and you know assuming that performance trends the way it's planned to, it's a it's a plan and goals that we uh, think we can make happen. Now the way you planned this and the way you rolled it out and the way Boeing tends to roll out their ten year plans seems to be kind of put some broad intent out there. Um, you know improve this peak, uh, you know upgrade this lift, upgrade that lift, uh, without a ton of specifics and. and Year to year, do you, do you build in that flexibility so year to year you can take a look at, okay, what's the reality on the ground? What can we afford? Uh, what unintended consequences? Uh, for example, if you put in this A-passenger lift, does that cause other areas of the mountain to have more capacity? So do you kind of look at it year by year and refine it while still maintain, having those larger goals in mind to guide you? Yeah, we we absolutely do. To, to set a plan and say this is exactly what it's going to be, uh, domino one, two, three, four are going to fall all all the way you want them to. Um, that that's unrealistic. As we as we improve an area, how is that going to change the rest of the system for for better or for worse? Even you know you have to look at it that way too. Um, not even looking at at the can gate lift. Um, if you were to look at some of the other things on our plan, uh, as far as on the summit cafe or or Camp 3, there are lodges up on mountain that are relatively small and are needed to to, have, to service more people right now. As we improve other areas of the resort, well, you know, we might not have to go go in such a dramatic uh, direction with one of those locations. Maybe it's fine how it is because people have shifted and they're they're utilizing something more. Um, Kent Gate's a perfect example of that. That that pod, the the west basin area of the resort, um, in, in our eyes is is underutilized on the trail system. And and a lot of it is because people use the kank to get up and get out of there. It's it's just a detachable quad. By putting in that new lift in, we think that it'll we think it'll keep people down in that area. Also as we look forward into what we're gonna do with the lodge structures down bottom. As part of that announcement for Kank Gate, 
you outlined, well, you didn't outline, you mentioned a reimagining of the West Basin area. Have you worked out the specifics of, of what that will be? Are we talking uh, different trail configurations, new trails, something entirely different? Uh, well, no no new trail configurations. Um, we, we got a great, great set of trails that lead down into that area, but the base area structures and you know how the various groups that come to the West Basin kind of coexist is, is being thought through. Um, you know, currently that's our first portal that most people come to, just the way our bus services work. You're landing in the West Basin, that's where our rental shops are, our, our, uh, our daycare, snow sports school services. Uh, we've got a couple clubs running out of that area, an adaptive nonprofit running out of that area, and all of the and, and then regular condo owners and stuff just coming over. So how all of those people coexist and, and what's best for all of them has evolved over the years. You, you, right now, if you look at that section of the resort, there's a, uh, a 15-year-old sprung structure tent. There's the Governor's Lodge that was built in 1981. There's a competition center and then a, a fourth building, um, the rental shop, that's you know a 28-year-old temporary structure before you get to a, a real permanent one in, in our children's center. And we've got to look at them all and see how, how they can all kind of come together maybe into one structure and work better together as, as one space. And, and I think that's just an evolution of time. You know, in 1981, the Governor's Lodge was this amazing-looking building. Nowadays, it, it doesn't quite serve the purposes that we have for how many people, how many guests we're servicing, what types of different guests we're, we're taking care of. So it's all being thought of and, and how we can make that, you know, modern first and foremost. How can we take advantage of looking out on, on the slopes of Loon, having, you know, a southerly facing building for, for springtime and what could go on with deck space out on the patio or, or up above on a, on a deck, on a structure. We just really need to, to think about the ski experience, what, what we want people to, um, why we want them to come to Loon and hang out for an afternoon or the whole day and relax. And that's something that Boyne has focused on more and more is that sort of experience of being at the mountain. You look at what's going on out at Big Sky and how they're kind of reimagining that as a little town really at the base of the mountain in a little more planned, deliberate way. Um, are you looking west at the lessons they learn out there to help you uh, understand maybe how those buildings interact with each other and, and how that common space works to maybe learn some things from what they're doing out there and apply those to Loon? We are. Um, yep, Big Sky just finished at the, the exchange um, and Vista Hall, a, a revamp of a, a pretty big structure and what was called the Mountain Mall at the time. It's fantastic looking. It's it's more of, a, you know, inside of it is somewhat of a food court type layout for the food and beverage services. And then, um, as I understand it, I've seen it all, you know, outdoors, there's some better patio service. And like you said, working on the ski experience of being able to hang out somewhat European-ish, like, like I witnessed, I said last week, outside hangout space, um, enjoying the environment that you're in, because really that's why everybody's there. They're there for the mountain, for the snow, um, for skiing. They want to watch other people too. I, I think that's all going to be looked at and taken in, into consideration as we move forward through this process. Yeah, it's a really cool view there already when you're at the bottom and that you have that nice big open slope up above you and just watching everyone come down. Uh, it's like a little ski gallery. So it, it's an excellent location, and I guess it's just a matter of figuring out the best way to put it all together. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the Kank 8. 
Uh, what can you tell us about the technology and capability that that lift is going to bring to the mountain? Sure. Well, it's an eight-place bubble, Doppelmeyer direct drive lift. Uh, that means uh, it does not have a, the traditional gearbox that uh, most lifts have right now. It's an electric motor. From a from a guest standpoint, let's talk about that side first, maybe, maybe more so than the, the tech side or the operating mm-hmm. side. We're increasing capacity to 3,500 skiers an hour from 2,800. A lot of the misconception right now is that we're doubling capacity with that lift, and that's mm-hmm. purely, I think, folks just looking at it as going from four to eight. And that's not really the intent here. Um, yes, we're adding some capacity because of future thinking, but more so the idea here is trying to lengthen the time for people to load a lift and then move them up the mountain as, as quickly as, as possible, in this case at five and a half meters, and provide them with a relaxing experience. They're going to be sitting in a chair that has custom cushioned seats with a full backrest uh, and, and headrest area, heated seats, more space, footrests, a bubble that comes over you for adverse weather, which we can sometimes get here in New England, and uh, delivering them to the top quickly, and then they can do it all over again. So from the lift perspective, it's really something that, that you know obviously doesn't exist in the East. Um, Big Sky is the only other one in the country that has um, the D-Line technology, and I tell you, just from experiencing it over the last uh, couple weeks, it's amazing, and it's what we think is the wave of the future from the lift experience at a ski resort. On the operator side or the, or the, the resort side of things, the machine is, as I mentioned, you know, state-of-the-art with an electronic motor instead of a motor and a gearbox, and that helps increase the reliability of the machine over time. It's lower maintenance, comes equipped with height-adjusting carpet for when you're loading guests. It has automated carrier parking. So unlike at a, our gondola or even any of our detaches when we're storing chairs, you, know, you can be looking at a, a team of folks, uh, four or five people to, to store our gondola cabins. Storing these chairs will literally take one or two people at night to take care of it. So yeah. that's a huge advantage from an operation standpoint, and, and we're really actually quite excited about it. You can also, with this machine, you can tag chairs and and decide what's going to be going around when. So, for example, every chair has an RFID signature, and if you have somebody that needs to be a foot traffic passenger, that carrier is going to come into the terminal, and when it gets there, it'll automatically slow the speed of the lift to let the person unload. Mm. Versus nowadays, the lift operator has to be mindful and paying attention for those people to come down and, 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 uh, and go off the chair. So there's a lot of advantages to it. We're just really excited about it. And does that run at the same speed as the Kent Quad, or will it be a little faster? It's a it's a half a meter faster. But and one problem we you know we somewhat have with the Kent Quad now is, it, you know, it, it's a four pack that's designed to run at 20, 2,800 people per hour, and the chair interval with that lift is is quite fast. So, you know, there's there's often times depending on the the types of guests that we have in house that we're not running it that fast because people are missing chairs. So, you know, when you can create a longer load interval, you're you're going from uh, with the Kank quad, a little over five seconds, Kank eight's going to be a little bit over eight seconds. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but being able to increase that time of guests getting to the load gate and then um, heading down to the load line, that's going to be a really big advantage for, for everybody. 
And in addition to slowing it down, are you able to easily take chairs out of service? Like when Killington redid their K-1 cabins uh, last year, they built a little shed, and so they don't necessarily always have all of them out. Are, is, are you going to have some kind of similar facility or capability with uh, Kink 8? Yep, Kink 8 will have, uh, it will have a storage barn with it. Um, you'll actually end up skiing into the storage barn uh, to get onto the lift. Okay. So what we will do is we do have the ability to um, – you know, basically put as many chairs out as, as we'd like. I mean, you know, there is a, a minimum capacity of chairs that have to be on the line to, to operate, really. But our lift will have 62 carriers, and um, any given day we could pick 40 to go out or, or 30. And then from a maintenance perspective, you just asked about that with Killington's example. You can uh, take any one off the line through the uh, Doppelmeyer uh, Connect software and put it in chair storage or put it in the grip room. Um, you can actually even tag it. So it's out on the line, and it'll go around and cycle through, and when it gets to the bottom, the gates at the load won't open for guests to get to the chair. It'll just continue through. So there's some neat functions. And obviously, I I sometimes say that I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to lifts. Um, there's a lot more on the back end that our lift maintenance team is really excited about. Is this going to be a direct replacement for the current quad, same base, same terminal? Yep, same summit. Same bottom. And, and and really, you know, we, we looked at what we could do with going higher, but from Loon's perspective, and, and you've skied here a bunch, um, you know, going up to kind of where Tote Road is really wasn't an option. The trails that we have up there, one of which being a, a green level kind of family zone, was not, it wasn't the ideal place to, to land that chair. So we, you know, keeping it where it is, is going to work out well for people to still get to um, gondola base or north bottom of North Peak, or like I mentioned earlier, stay in the West Basin pod and and ski those trails more. And from my understanding, the terminal or in the base on these Apex is enormous. Stephen Kircher, when he was on the podcast, said that it's bigger than a gondola terminal. Are you going to have to re-landscape or, or clear some space at the current tank base, or do you have do you have the room for it as it is? We have the room for it. The space that the lift is in, kind of from east to west. Um, won't change, but what you will what you will see is a, a, a larger bottom terminal structure or barn structure that will also be the chair storage for the lift. And is there any way that this lift differs from the Ram Charger Eight out in Big Sky, or is it basically the same machine? Well, the the line the line profile is is remarkably very similar. Most of the technology is the same, besides the fact that it has a bottom drive and bottom tension. Uh, R8 at Big Sky is. Uh, Everything's at the top, and then the parking for R8 is at the top as well. Some of the the neat sides of the lift, too, is custom color look and feel to the chair seats and and the carriers and then the the terminals themselves. So you mentioned that that pod is a little underutilized. So no concerns that this A-passenger lift is going to dump too many people onto the mountain, onto the trails? No, we feel pretty good about it. I think what what we're going to find is we'll have people out more on, on the mountain using trails that, you know, now obviously, you know, cycle time, like people will be skiing more and, and which is fantastic. We've got the grooming capability and the snowmaking capacity to, to take care of the hill and make sure that, uh, that everything's still good from that perspective. So you're looking to break ground the minute you close? We will, uh, we will start taking chairs off of Kent Quad on April 5th and April start 5th. right away. Is that your planned closing date for Loon this year? Nope, it's the 13th. Uh, we closed the West Basin uh, the week before the octagon side. 
Got it. And do you have plans to move the Kent Quad elsewhere? Uh, currently, it's still a little up in the air. Anyone who's who's paid attention to the uh, proposed actions statement from the Forest Service will notice the Seven Brothers chair is, is on our list. Uh, that's the next lift to be replaced, and it'll hopefully be the Kent Quad. One of the things with our plan and, and really a anyone else's within Boyne is, is a little bit of our ability to shuffle where what lifts could go based on their capacity and how long, you know, they currently are, where they would fit. It lets us really look around and see, you know, who could take this lift or that lift and what year one might go here or might go there. So it's a little up in the air, as I said, but currently the Kent Quad's going to stay and replace Seven Brothers. And are those about the same length? From the trail map, the Kent Quad looks a little longer, but I know these things are not always you know, realistic in their scale, or would you have to shorten it a bit? We'll be shortening it just a little bit, yeah. They're they're almost the same. Right, so then you end up with a few extra chairs, which isn't the worst thing to have if you need to take some out of service and, and throw a couple extra on the line, right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, and, and getting to Seven Brothers and replacing that chair, that's a big experience piece for us, too. Um, anybody who has skied here on a difficult weather day and the gondola is down, you, you get forced to, to ride on that fixed grip triple. And, you know, it does have a loading carpet, so it runs a little bit faster. But when we can replace that and get a high-speed detached there to get people up out of the octagon area and down to North Peak and or even to East Basin to then get to Gondola Summit, that's going to be a big a big thing for us. And do you think that will help take a little pressure off the gondola? Because those lines can get pretty long down there. I do. And I also think the uh, Kent Gate's going to take pressure off the gondola as well, you know, especially on a bad weather day. If you can come into a corral area and you're undercover and then load a chair that has a bubble and really all that all that's getting wet snow or rain or anything on it are your are your boots um, that's going to help that experience too so the gondola will be will be helped out with both of those moves yeah it, most places in the east where they put in a bubble the lifts next to it just become ghost towns you take mount snow for example everyone wants to ride the Bluebird Express, and right next door you have a lift that goes to the same place, and, and it's empty. It just takes a little longer, and it's not quite as comfortable. I'm curious, and I'm not sure if you know this, or how, how tuned in you are to it, from the Ram Charger A to Big Sky, have they found that folks just like to ride it just because of the ride, just because it's a novelty, because it's it's kind of an experience? Stuart, I'm not, I don't know. I, I think one thing I observed when I was there is it looked like it looked to me, and you know I worked out with them for quite a while. Uh, it looked to me like they actually had, were getting higher utilization out in the um, Southern Comfort area of the resort. You go up R8 and you take a left and you go down into that zone. So I think I think it is too. I think it's both. You know, people are riding it because they're impressed by the experience and how well it rides, and they're also being able to get get other places faster at the same time. Yeah, I guess what I was getting at is, is that part of the reason why it may take pressure off the gondola, just because it's more of a novel thing. It's it's certainly nothing else we have in the East anywhere else, at least at this point. Yeah, um, so go, go back to your question. Yeah, I think it will. You also have, and I think this is the case at any resort, you, you do have the, your, your kind of cultures throughout the resort. You know, there are people that ski the octagon at Loon, and that's where they are. That's where they stay. You know, park guys, for example. They're, they're riding the octagon side, either Go-Go or Seven Brothers Chair, to get to our park network. Um, governor's side of the resort, you know, most more of our race crowd hangs out on that side of the, of the resort. So, you know, especially when we have a difficult weather day, if they can just stay there and still be dry, 
versus come to the gondola and be in that line, they're going to do that. And so your goal for Kent Gate is to have it open when the mountain opens in uh, November, or, or are you looking more of a holiday opening? Uh, right now, we're looking to have it open right around Thanksgiving or just after. You know, the way the way that Loon opens, gondola side always opens first. Governor's usually comes online um, a week or two after Thanksgiving. And is there any chance that that Seven Brothers lift transplant, if it happened, would happen before the start of next season, or is it just too soon to say? If everything works out, we will uh, be working next summer, summer 21, to replace that lift. So lots of other upgrades in Loon 2030, chairlift upgrades, replacements uh, on North Loon and South Peak kind of hinted at. What else can you tell us about potential projects on any of your other peaks or major chairlifts? I think when we look at those areas of the resort, there's a there's two things. There's We have capacity issues with, with long lines at those locations that we would like to uh, alleviate. North Peak, Loon Peak, South Peak. You know, North Peak and, and South Peak, the North Peak Quad and, and Lincoln Express are two, you know, relatively younger lifts when it when you look at the the group we have within our company, Boyne Resorts. So, you know, we are looking at that those two lifts and what they could be in the future and and what type of capacity they could have or also improving the load interval on them to make the experience better from that aspect and putting those those chairs elsewhere in the company. Um, so that's the thought there. You know, the gondola that's still on on the docket you saw it in the plan. Um, everyone asked about the gondola. We will hopefully be doing that in the next, I'd say, you know, five years, six, seven years. It's something that's needed, as as you've seen. And um, it won't be a drastic increase in capacity, but we have it within our master plan, and, and we, will, um, we will be doing that. It's just uh, right now we're running it as is. And as far as the gondola goes, are you talking about bigger cabins or some, or just more cabins or higher speed? It'd be bigger cabins. Not quite sure what yet, but definitely more than a, a four-place. And I'm not really familiar with the engineering challenges of retrofitting a gondola like that. Could you take the existing towers and base and simply add bigger cabins, or is it more complicated than that? Would you have to tear that thing out and start from scratch? Well, I've... I've I'm not the engineer either, but most likely, yes, it'll be a full replacement, which brings along its own set of challenges when you run it year-round for summer uh, sky rise as well. So that that's all things that we need to work on planning for how it's going to impact our business, especially from a summer and, and fall perspective, and then figure out when to implement it. The, the, the machine that we would put in there will be bigger. It will have less cabins is, is our thought at the at this point in time. Because as I said, we're not going to, we're not looking to take that lift from 1,100 people per hour to, to 3,500 people mm-hmm. per hour. It's not going to be anything. Right. But you're committed to a gondola there. That's the right kind of lift there because you can use it all year round. Yes. Yep. And as far as the North Peak and South Peak Express quads go, uh, Stephen had also mentioned on the podcast that he sees the four-place Express quads kind of fading out in favor of the six-packs. Do you think that that was something you would consider on North and South Peaks, or is it too soon to say? Uh, it is, absolutely. Um, I I think the space that it's, that it's giving you, um, and, and what it can do for lowering the number of carriers on the line and increasing the, the interval at the, at the bottom where you're loading, going, going to six or eight is uh, going to give us that luxury.
plans to update the most famous lift that you have, the J.E. Henry Railroad, the 1934 locomotive that runs back and forth uh, between your base lodges. I know that's a fan favorite. <laughs> Did you just hear it in the background? Um, <laughs> I, I didn't, but that's, that's good timing. <laughs> we're not going to be doing anything with it. It's not going anywhere. It is a staple loon. It's, it's iconic to us, um, and it keeps chugging along, so it's staying put. I read that it moves 350,000 skiers per year. Does that sound about right to you? <laughs> that sounds pretty good. <laughs> I, I hadn't really actually thought about it, but it moves a lot of people. Yeah, it, it runs daily from just before Christmas till about mid-March, end of March, and everybody loves it. I mean, my, my kids grew up, well, they're still growing up, but they grew up riding on it. We take it from my office over to... Uh, West Basin to hit Sarsaparilla and learn how to ride and take it back over this way and it's critical it was critical part of uh, them learning the ski life at Loon. Yeah my, I was up there with my daughter in December and she really got a kick out of it she loved it. That train dates from 1934 do you have to do any kind of special maintenance to it? I can't imagine it's an easy thing to yeah, find parts Yeah I, well yeah a lot of the parts are, are machined custom for it that it needs uh, it does have you know all the end the boiler inspections and you have to do all of that type of stuff to it periodically uh the carriers you know they're they're all metal and people are getting on them with snow and rain and salt and so there's a lot of maintenance that happens um to the carrier end of it and it's stored every night it's fired up every morning it takes uh any well depending on the temperature it takes an hour hour and a half to get the boiler up to temp and wow. ready to roll and then it takes a while for it to get down to uh, a safe level um, to leave it for the night. Do you ever find a situation where something breaks and yet you have to machine a new part? Because it's not like you can just you know call the factory and tell them to send over a new one. Well, we've been lucky with our our team that's running it to acquire quite the list of people of of people that love trains mm. and be able to make some pretty quick calls and see if people have stuff and then uh, get creative in manufacturing if we if we don't. But Knock on wood, it's been pretty pretty steady. Nice. Well, I hope I didn't jinx you there, but I look forward to riding that for the foreseeable future. Um, any, as you look ahead to the next ten years, any terrain expansions in mind? Uh, yes, there are. We're, uh, you know, within our master plan, we we do have trails uh, still on the list up on North Peak and Loon Peak. You know, obviously they're not they're not named or anything, but. Getting up there and, and getting into those zones is part of our whole thought process behind, you know, replacing North Peak, replacing the gondola, a portion of, of replacing the replacement of the gondola. And it's great skiing, stuff stuff that we, uh, you know, I'd say we have some people skiing in there already. And we can't get, we can't wait to um, get it open and get going. But that's a process. You know, being in the White Mountain National Forest just takes a little extra time to do those things. It's stuff that we, we've we started conversations about, but unlike resorts that aren't in the forest, you know, there's, a little more to, there's a little more to it. Can you give us any sense on the trail map of where these new runs would be in relation to the existing runs? Well, there's uh, – so North Peak's probably the easiest one to give reference to. Uh, so there's – right now there's glades out off of – Upper Walking Boss, Lower Walking Boss, there's a trail in there. And then if you were on Flume, you get to uh, Hallback, basically, and there's a trail that runs uh, skiers left of, of Flume. Mm -hmm. Those are those are two of them. And then there's another one uh, near 
Upper Flying Fox on Loon Peak. And any sense of the, what grade those would be? Are those uh, intermediate runs, black diamonds? They'd be blacks. Most likely they'd be blacks. And I'd, I've seen just hints in the media over the years of more trails on South Peak. Anything planned over there? Well, hopefully. Yeah, South Peak's kind of the, the elephant in the room, I guess you could say. We went to South Peak and Pemby Base Camp uh, in 07 and built out that section of of what we had approved at the time and had land at the bottom of, of Pemi that's owned by a, a third party um, and, and kind of been in development then with them over the years, as I understood it. Um, and right now, you know, uh, that, that area of the resort is something that we're, we're definitely interested in. We have plans for trails up above the land that's down there. We're just looking and trying to be engaged with the owners to, to do something down there. So within the next 10 years, I would love to say yes, you know, right now, a lot of what our plan about is about in Loon 2030 is improving what we have and improving the experience that we that we currently have and making it as good as it can be. And um, we will look towards South Peak in the near future here and what can happen more down there. And and when it does come along, it's really exciting what we're what we're thinking about, but we're not there yet. And looking at the trail map, when you say land above or near Pemi Base Camp, is that between Boom Run and Jobber, or, or over off uh, Skiers Left of Cruiser, or, or where is that chunk yeah, that you're sorry. talking about? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, so this would be west of Cruiser. Okay. And, okay. It, and it basically gets you right above town, and that's a really exciting mm. aspect of it. it. It brings Loon even more so, you know, into the town of Lincoln. You, you can be shopping downtown or be at the one of the restaurants downtown, and you'll be able to look up and see those trails whenever that happens. And would those be close enough you could actually ski down to town, a la Europe or something, or, or are you talking a little bit more of a separation? There's more of a separation because you have, the, you have a, the, the river between the mountain and the town. There's there's visions out there by people about um, lifts going across the river and things, and I think that would be fantastic, but I, I think right now those are just, just uh, thoughts, wishes. And your sister resorts in New England have quite a bit, they've developed quite a bit of glade skiing. So uh, Sugarloaf obviously has Bracket Basin, which is just, you know, that giant Western style uh, tree zone. And then Sunday River has been thinning a lot of glades over the years. Uh, comparatively few have been thinned on Loon. Uh, any plans to start glading more trails? Right now, no. Uh, we are looking in areas uh, where, you know, I mentioned the woods off of Upper Walking Boss earlier. Uh, we do have a section of, of terrain up there that we're looking at. At current South Peak, there's a, a section of trees between um, Boom Run and uh, Jobber Twitcher uh, that's that's kind of really exciting because of its uh, the orientation of it facing north. Um, so we are looking in there, and we've, we have conversations with the Forest Service. It's just the point of, you know, it takes a lot to get there with that, and um, everything else that we have on this plan takes up time and resources, too, um, from those folks. So prioritizing what we're doing when and um, and moving forward as we can. Lucky, Luckily for them, Sunday River Sugarloaf, they've got an easier structure when it comes to the ownership of that of that land being, uh, being us. So good thing for them. Right. Uh, so currently, to, to get back and forth between South Peak and Loon, you take the Tote Road quad. Is there ever a possibility of a ski connection between those peaks, or are there, or there environmental or property or other reasons why that just isn't going to happen? There, there are plans. Um, our master plan does have a crossover trail from both sides. So that is something that we can look at and, and 
would be looking at. Environmentally, it's not a roadblock, but we do have a brook that runs down through there that we have to be cognizant of. And that's that's most of the reason why Tote Road exists up top to get you from uh, Loon Peak to the top of South Peak. And do you own that land in between, or is that Forest Service land? It's Forest Service land, but it's within our uh, our permit. So moving on to some of your other facilities, uh, you have several facility enhancements on the schedule. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what you have in mind? When, when we look at those those items, you have things like the Summit Cafe. Summit Cafe is a great space. It's a it's a um, building that was original to Loon, built in '66. It's it's pretty small. So you know, how do we improve that space to make it better and be able to accommodate more people? What do we do with it? Um, we are thinking about that, but with that space and then also with, let's say, Camp 3, two, two on-mountain locations, we've got to think about what happens when we improve the Governor's Lodge, um, the West Basin, what happens down there, and how do people interact with that space, and does it warrant what we might want to do right now to Camp 3? You know, um, So we're going to be a little reactionary uh, as things improve here and there. Uh, what we'll do in, the, in a different location would change. The exception to that is probably um, Pemi Base Camp at South Peak. Uh, that's a you know a tent structure that was built in 07, and uh, it was only really supposed to be there for five years. Uh, so that's a spot that we're we're looking at, and we'll um, we'll be moving forward with some sort of different structure, you know, wood deal structure, um, and getting away from the the tent business there. Do you have a sense of priority order? Are you looking at, at PEMI first and governors? Are you kind of do them at once, or, or are you just not really ready to decide yet? No, the governors is is top on the priority list. You know, we'll, we'll be that's that's a that's a near future project that is happening in the next you know two three years and and maybe phased. You know, it is a it's a it's going to be a large project. So we're working with our with our architects on which aspects we want to do first, if we can do it all at once, or if we're going to phase it into two two separate pieces or what. But the governor's lodged, and then the rest of that West Basin area is first on the list, and then we will evolve from there. And if, Pemi, as you improve that lodge, would that maybe mean some more, more parking over there to try to move people around a little bit? Maybe. You know, it, it, it's an interesting, and I can't get into all of it, but it's an interesting relationship down there in what we own versus what we we do not own. Mm -hmm. um, really, down at that, at that base area, you know, we have the lift, we have the trails, and then we have the tent. And a lot of the rest of that space is all within an operating agreement with the folks that own it. So right now, I'd say you know, I'd say kind of no right now, but possibly. So shifting over to snowmaking for a minute, you already have a pretty powerful snowmaking system, uh, but that's a big item on the Loon 2030 plan. What can you tell us about how you will upgrade your current snowmaking system to make that even more powerful? Yeah, good question. Well, we have yeah we have, we have a great system. Our capacity is for, for air and water is is fantastic. But the goal with all of that is utilization of it all on demand. It's, as soon as we can fire up and be at peak capacity, that's where we want to be, especially as we think about uh, how the early season in New England has been going over the last few handful of years. This year is a great example of it. We had some really awesome windows for making snow and making a lot of snow, and then we had some rain, and then we had two or three days, and then we had some rain. So, you know, the, the volatility of weather is really what pushes a lot of this. Um, you know, yes, we have 
we have a lot of water at our disposal and can make a lot of snow. And people know that, that that's one of Loon's attributes and, and uh, the why, one of the reasons why we're, we're busy all the time. But when we do run into tough weather, how can we very, very, very quickly improve the surface um, if it's been negatively impacted? And then beyond that, how do we reach, how do we reach full automation? Right now we're using, um, a lot of our mindset right now is transferring our hydrants to what we call a semi-automated technology with the, the click hydrant from HKD. And that is something that is, it's got high pressure hosing to it. It's literally the turn of a knob and you have water. And we need, our desire is to take that, that technology, and then take it a step further. Get to, get to full automation so that there's areas of the resorts that we're not quite dependent on personnel to be there to fire stuff up. We can just get it rolling and, and um, concentrate our, our, uh, our manpower in the other areas of the resort where we might not get full automation. So does that mean more stationary guns on more trails? Well, we have a lot of stationary as is, but yeah, it, it does. There's always the need, I think anybody would tell you, there's always the need to have some portable guns, whether that's just because it's a narrow trail or a, an extremely difficult place to, to get to with big equipment. Um, so you still need some kind of ground guns or sled guns. But from our perspective, most of our equipment is uh, is mounted. And are you at 100% snowmaking capacity right now, outside of the glades, obviously? Yeah, we're, we're almost there. I'd say we're 98% there. We have two trails. Two trails that do not have pipe on it, one of which is really easy to pull through the woods. So, you know, it basically has snowmaking. And then another one called Triple Trouble that doesn't have any snowmaking in it as of right now. Um, in some of our improvements that we're looking to do in this plan, it, it involves improving the facility up on uh, up on North Peak. And when we do, when we do that, we are uh, seriously considering putting snow on that trail as well. Hmm. Um, Right now, it's kind of this neat little, um, it's kind of a treat in a way. I mean, I, there's plenty of people that would love to have triple trouble every day, but it's a, it's a really steep trail. It kind of stays natural, and people people somewhat enjoy the fact that, like, it's not available all the time. But when we get a good dump, like, there it is. So there's, there's a cool vibe to that. Right. So I guess at this point, it's more about replacing what you have with more high-efficiency guns, uh, things like that, since you already have the whole mountain covered. Yes, it is, and and it's it's about yeah. It's also about trying to save energy too. I mean, saving energy saves money, but it also kind of helps with our environmental initiatives. Um, I think you probably saw in our plan being carbon neutral by 2030. That's that's a big lofty goal and something that we think we can get to. But something that is very important to us being in the White Mountain National Forest, being you know. Ha- wanting people to go out and be in the environment, hey, we're going to be able to make snow to do so. So if we can do our part to help uh, curb some climate change and some warming trends, we'll continue to do that. And snowmaking and improving our efficiencies with snowmaking is a big piece to that. You know, guns we're buying now, I mean, they're, you know, they, they use a quarter of the energy that we were using with guns back in, you know, oh, five, six, seven mm. um, time period. And so in this quest to become carbon neutral, uh, what else is the resort planning to help make that happen? We started with some of the simpler things of what are we buying and and how are we handling our food and beverage operations? An example would be 
single-use plastic, forks, knives, spoons, cups, things that, you know, we all take for granted and everybody has, but why do we have those? Why don't we just use regular silverware and wash them? Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously, that uses energy, but not as much as a factory does to produce a plastic item that you're then going to use once and throw in the trash. So mm -hmm. we're going down avenues like that to start to pick things off because cause you got to, right? You can't do this all in one one big swoop. Right. Um, you've got to strategically over the years start to pull things out of the equation. And, you know, it, it's it's that. And probably next up is is plastic bottles. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to completely eliminate plastic bottles. I think that's probably a, an unrealistic statement. But do we need to look at better avenues of reusable cups and fountain-type soda drink and water, stuff like that. Food and beverage, there's a lot of, there's a lot of opportunity there. Equipment, as, as I said, with snowmaking, snowcats. You know, I found this uh, very interesting. I was involved in some talks down in Washington, D.C. a couple months ago. And, you know, through my research with our resort here, the snowcats that we're buying these days, they're 92% cleaner and cover like 25% more terrain than the ones we were buying like 13 years ago. That, wow. Like that's, that's, that's a big, that's a big statement because any resort and, you know, we're, we're big, but we're definitely not the biggest around. You know, we're running, we're running uh, five cats a shift, two shifts every day, almost once, once we're up and running fully. So that's a lot of energy and um, that's a good move to, to help us towards, towards our goal of, uh, of being carbon neutral, which is, you know, which is also, it, this is a, this is a corporate goal as well. Boyne Resorts, something that we're really vested in and we're going to make it happen. So back to the mountain for a moment. Another Boyne initiative uh, is the rollout of RFID gates. And you became, Loon became the first, well, one of the first Boyne Mountains to put that in this year. Uh, how did that go? It worked really good when I was up there. I, I had my icon pass and I, I went right in and there were no issues. So has it generally just been running smooth? Yeah, Luna Big Sky installed dual frequency RFID, which is, you know, the antenna has, there's a, a UHF antenna and an HF antenna. And kind of traditional RFID around around the states that everybody is using, it's it's HF, high frequency. We wanted, our, our goal was to install ultra high frequency RFID, giving us the ability to do kind of some other things with that technology and, and you know, Maybe some of it's big brother-ish, if you wanted to say, but the ability just to know, you know, in the future, you know, how, I don't know how many people walked into the Octagon Lodge today, um, or or went by this this parking area. Um, the, it allows you to scan at a longer rate, much like uh, Easy Pass if you're on the highway. That's that's mm -hmm. uh, UHF technology. Um, but at the same point, we didn't want to neglect some of the other things, like you know. Like Icon, our Icon Pass users, they're they're on HF technology, and those partnerships are important to us. So, this is a, a kind of a, a big move to have the best of both worlds, and um, we got it rolling first in the fall, like you said, just before Big Sky opened, and it's been it's gone really well. Um, I, I think it, a few of the resort operators I talked to, as when we were looking into this and, and access specifically who we worked with on the gates. Yeah, there's always going to be some hiccups here and there. New technology is being installed on a mountain. There's weather to deal with. So there's always some stuff. But as you, as you mentioned, 
you thought it went pretty smoothly. I, I think it's going really smoothly. There's a learning curve for everyone, our team, as well as, and even maybe more so, um, our guests. Just just the idea of where do you put this card and what can I put it with? And, uh, and, and actually, as more people get on RFID, a guest knowing not to have a different RFID card in their pocket too. Um, <laughs> That's key. Those things kind of... It, uh, it's funny, but they they are popping up, and those are more so the hiccups we run into, and what we what it create delays at the lift for us. So, so more of a user so error. The technology is working just fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So, the last thing I wanted to ask you about Jay, I, it's interesting that you came up. Uh, first of all, I find it interesting that you're you were a snowboarder because I, I feel like this is still kind of a skier dominated industry and. And, and a lot of the folks who you see move up, um, they just naturally have that ski background because they tend to be people who are a little farther in their career. So it's cool to see, you know, us getting to this this place where the generation of people who grew up snowboarding are finally running mountains. Um, but you ran the terrain parks not only at Loon but through all of Boyne Resorts for several years. Can you talk a little bit about how important that piece of the mountain is to the modern resort experience, having a good terrain park that's interesting that that draws in that group of people that love those things. It's extremely important to Loon, as as you've as you've seen or noticed. I, I think when you look at it from from a kind of a global perspective, you have things that differentiate resorts. Uh, and if you're if you're in New England, that's going to be different than if you're out west. You know, uh, if if you look at if you look at uh, Jackson or Big Sky, um, you've got these properties that you know Lone Peak at Big Sky. I mean, that's that's a big selling piece. For those guys, Jackson Hole and what's going on off the tram is a big piece for them. Um, and everything is, you know, that topography of those mountains is is what's really unique and and helping drive guests. Besides other things, obviously, like you know, snowfall and 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 the towns that are available to them and stuff. You know, especially in New England, there's a lot of resorts out here, and how do you differentiate yourself from the guy down the road? How is Loon different from Waterville Valley, who's 35 minutes away from us? What's going to make them come here over there? Now, there's a lot of things to that. Um, there's you know, the arrival experience, the lodge experience, the lift experience, your reliability for for snow, or or maybe your or maybe not, right? And when we look at terrain parks, I mean, we see an avenue for the young the young guests to be engaged with the resort and learn to love the place and hopefully become our loyal older people as they as they grow up and bring their kids and then their grandkids and kind of roll it roll it like that. So, you know, I I think if you're if you can be successful in the world of, of terrain parks, it's something you should do. But you've got to be you've got to be a hundred percent committed to it. And and Loon has been um you know, Rick Kelly, my predecessor, was really into it, and we uh, we had a great working relationship here that helped me kind of move and help other people as as uh, as business um, evolved with uh, new ownership and things. Um, but what we did during that entire time is you stayed committed to offering the best product and having having the best people to help build that product for the guests and. If you can't do that, you need to really consider not being in that game um, because of certainly some of the certainly some of the legal and liability issues that would be associated with that. But um, but more more so from that 
young guest and uh, their ability to call you out if you're not doing it right, they're, they're going to get you, and that can be just as negatively impacting. So um, it's been something that's been very successful for Loon. It's not for everybody. And, and within Boyne, I think you, you mentioned my role uh, within Boyne Resorts. Uh, our, our plan there and what we did with all of our resort areas was to be the best they could be. And that didn't mean that they all had to be like Loon or, or like Brighton. Um, that meant that they just had to be good in their area and, you know, whether it was offering small parks or offering, you know, extra large parks, uh, just do it right. Make sure it's kind of photo ready all the time and um, enjoyable for people. So it's a good part of our business and uh, something that helps separate us from others. You know, you mentioned the the folks calling you out if it's not perfect. And and I think I think the general public underestimates or just doesn't think about how much work it is because not only do you have to keep the features in great shape, you kind of have to change it up throughout the year, right? Because you got to keep it fresh for the people who come all the time. Exactly how much maintenance do these things take to to not only to do but as you say to do well. Yeah, it, it it's a lot. Loon for I'll use Loon obviously for example here. Um we're running uh two machines a night. And that depends on the day. Um, you know, we also have a pretty robust uh, event schedule, and that drives a lot of machine time too, and and does drive a lot of the refresh and changeover that you spoke about, um, which is super important to to building a good program, um, keeping it fresh for people, making sure there's something different. It gives your marketing team something something new to talk about or or take photos and social of. But you know, on a on a kind of weekly basis you're looking at you know you're running a couple machines a night if you have a pretty extensive offering for people and uh daytime wise you've you've got a, a pretty good sized crew of three three four guys maintaining it and being out there and helping educate people and and taking care of it so it takes a lot well, Jay, I'll, uh, we're over time so I'll let you go and and uh, I know we didn't talk about this on the podcast but you were gracious enough to do this call after a long travel day yesterday coming all the way from Austria back to New Hampshire. So I really cannot thank you enough for your time. Really exciting stuff happening at Loon. I can't wait to get up there and witness it all for myself. Yeah, it would be great. Come by anytime. Thanks for having me. That's Jay Scambio, President and General Manager of Loon Mountain, New Hampshire. Loon's here. You got to be feeling pretty good right now. Loon 2030 announced, and that guy in charge of it. It's going to change your mountain in some very positive ways. It's going to be awesome. Jay is young, he's smart, and he's going to be in charge of Loon for a very long time. He's the perfect guy for it. As I said in my intro, he grew up there. He started as a snowboard instructor, worked his way up. That's the Boyne way. Find the best people, push them up the chain. Hope the interview makes up for the fact that I missed Loon in my interview with Stephen Kircher earlier this season. If you want to learn a whole lot more about Boyne, go listen to that interview. When you're done with that, subscribe to the Storm Skiing newsletter at skiing.substack.com. If you already signed up, sign up your friends. Then go follow us on social, Twitter at Storm Ski Journal, and also on Facebook. Next up, a big one. If all goes, I'm hoping. This is one that a lot of you have been asking me for since day one. You're really going to like what you hear about what is one of the most important mountains in the Northeast. More on that soon. Thank you so much for your time today. Where are you skiing this week? Don't tell me you're not getting out. We've got two snowstorms coming. Don't be the guy who can't fit it in. 
Just find a way to get out there, even if it's for an hour after work at the local show. This is it. It's midwinter. Go get it. I'm Stuart Winchester. I will talk to you again very soon. The Storm Skiing Podcast is a Quicksilver Films production.